Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Well, good afternoon. A warm welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you. All mining stocks today to experts with a particular interest in the area over the next hour. So let's get right to it. Daniel Ortiz is joining us from Stock Doctor. He's in Melbourne. Good afternoon to you. And also here with me in studio and on my wrong side, Gaurav yeah. Sodhi it's from just, Intelligent <laughs> Investor. We'll get really used weird. to it. We'll yeah, get we'll used, get used to, to it. it. Okay. All right, uh, guys, let's just get cracking, shall we? We have got um, IGO. We've got Latin Resources. We've got Red 5. We've got West Cold Resources. We've got South 32 all coming at you in this first half of the program. But as far as the stock of the day, well, actually, I thought we'd focus on two briefly, Soraya Resources and Talga Group. On Friday, China surprised the market by saying it would restrict graphite export permits for some products to protect national security. It is the world's top graphite producer, ministry in charge saying the move was to promote security and stability of the global supply chain and industrial chain in China. So we're seeing a couple of names move in reaction today. That's Soraya Resources and Talga. Also, Chris has already written in to ask us about these companies. So there is Soraya Resources. We've got Talga Group as well today up by a solid 12%. Daniel, I'll start with you today and welcome again. I know you and Gaurav have been keen to get on the program together to talk everything mining and mining stocks. Um, so this move uh, in terms of graphite, obviously it's a key commodity in terms of the EV revolution. So is this a, a big opportunity for a couple of these Australian miners? Yeah, look, I haven't looked too deeply into the news, Nadine, about the exports um, kind of license restrictions in China, but it's not something that's new coming out of China. I mean, they've kind of played this hand before with different commodities and, and different times, specifically about the, the requirement for a new export license. When it comes to graphite as a commodity as a whole, I think you know we're probably not very positive on the market Um at all, to be to be quite frank, especially a company like Syra probably has one of the world's best natural graphite deposits, but it's actually really never been able to make any money at all. Um, and the graphite market is just so opaque, so dominated by China, not only the processing, but, but the production as well. And it also comes back to, I think, in the EV material, so the anode material, it does seem to be from kind of the industry experts uh, who I've listened to that the synthetic graphite is a more dominant use of choice because I think it's a less volatile matter and um, has higher purity. So look, I'm a little bit concerned about the natural graphite market. Um, and obviously a lot of these stocks on the ASX, we'd probably be avoiding all of them. Going back a quarter, Syra actually announced that they, you know, that they actually didn't even sell any product at all last quarter. So not the most recent one because there was no demand within the market. So it's just so opaque, you know, not making money, cash flow negative. I think they've burnt US 130 million this year as well, um, which is a lot of money 
relative to the size of the company and projections of future cash flow. So I think we'd be happy to, to avoid these companies. Avoiding both Soraya and Talga Resources, Daniel Ortizzi. So mm. Gaurav, what about you? He's not really that excited about graphite as a theme either. Yeah, that, that'd be my take as well. Um, you know, a lot of people get look at the demand side of a commodity and expect the prices just to follow. But of course, um, supply plays a big part in discovery of price. It's not just a demand story. And graphite in particular, there are, there are, there's a natural source of graphite. And, and Sira, the deposit that they have, I think it's in Mozambique, is, is a fantastic um, piece of geology. It's the world's largest hard rock deposit. It is um, huge. Um, the flake size is just perfect. Um, it happens to be in a difficult jurisdiction, but if, if that was the only problem, I still think you could make an economic success out of it. The problem really is with um, the larger graphite industry, and it's one where you can um, artificially create graphite, um, and they've done that very successfully um, in China for many years. And so you don't really, really see, um, th there's no reason why this particular mine in this particular um, jurisdiction should um, should be any more valuable at this time than any other time. Um, I, th I think graphite is a very difficult problem. It's 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 not like lithium where you have to um, dramatically grow the discovery, the processing, um, and the supply of the good. You've already got a artificial way of producing graphite, and that just has to scale a little bit more every year. And, and it's pretty simple to do that. That's not an intractable problem. Um, the, the China news is, is bad. I mean, it's not good when supply is withheld, but it can be switched, off, switched back on tomorrow. And I don't think that's any reason to re-rate a stock. I wouldn't pay any more for, for, the, for the business just because of that, because the, uh, the, the, the reasons it's been switched off, it can be switched right back on again. Mm. Talga, I know nothing about, so I won't, I'll just leave um, those comments with, with Daniel. But um, this is an excellent mine in a difficult jurisdiction, in an area I'm not particularly interested in, and that's probably too hot in any case. Um, you know, with, with, with mining, it's um, whenever I hear non-mining people start giving me mining tips, um, you just know. I mean, this happened with copper earlier in the year. I don't know if you've oh noticed Oh, God, anything. everybody was all yeah, over copper. Classic, classic sign to get out of copper. Because when the, when, when the non-mining person starts recommending your mining stocks, you know you've got to get out. It's the equivalent of seeing stock prices splashed on the 6 o'clock news. You know it's... It, it's something big is going to happen. So you, you don't want to go there. And, and I would say um, graphite's in the same place. It's, it's an avoid for me. I, I don't see the, the investment case for it. Thanks. Okay. Now, Daniel, just <clears> a follow-up <throat> question to you, because there is talk that China could, you know, extend some of these ex export restrictions around other critical minerals. And the first one that's come to many people's lips is potentially rare earths. Now, we're not talking about any rare earths later in the program. So just a quick thought. On strategy, you know, Gaurav just said when everybody's talking mining stocks, probably time to get out. When it comes to strategy, would you ever sort of base your investment decisions on the fact that there could be potentially more export restrictions coming from a country like China, which Gaurav has pointed out could flip the switch on and off as, as it so desires? Uh, look, Nadine, not really, because it, there might be, like I've mentioned, it might result in a short-term blip or a short-term re-ratement, but a lot of these things don't have longevity to them. And if you think about even Linus, it's the largest producer of rare earths outside of China. But at the end of the day, you know, the majority of its product does go to China for, for the use in, in creating those rare earth alloys. So, you know, it's 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 going to be a factor where in the near future, you're never going to be able to avoid, you know, the, the impact of China in any commodity market. 
market. I mean, if you're talking about rare earth specifically, it can be a bit unique because, you know, the, the majority of the, the value is created through the separation of rare earths, which is pretty unique um, method of processing, which, you know, Linus is basically the, the main um, the main infrastructure holder there out of any um uh, company outside of China. So, you know, arguably, I think there's always a case for Linus over other rare earth plays because they have the infrastructure and the expertise, but specifically on that reason, uh, potentially, you know, to do with changing dynamics out of China, probably not so much. Got it. All right. Uh, look, I do want to just leave that for now because you're not ringing the bells for for uh, any of that. Let's get to our stock list as nominated by our viewers, all miners today. Peter, and if we start, well, in this uh, hot to trot sector, Peter has asked about IGO, Gorab. Don't know mm. if Peter already owns it, but mm. what do you think about IGO in the story? IGO, yeah, look, um, Nathan loves this one. Yeah. And at first, I mean, I've known about the stock, but it was only him badgering me that really um, forced me to take a closer look at it um, a little while ago. It reminds me of a teenager who's, who's walking around wearing lots of designer labels. You know, these guys own three famous storied mines. Um, Green Bushes is the jewel in the crown. This is the best lithium, hard rock lithium asset in the world. It, it is genuinely what they call in industry a T1 asset. Mm -hmm. Wanky term, but totally um, accurate. Um, it's, it is, nothing is as large, nothing is as high grade, nothing can be expanded as fast or as, as large. Um, and it's the actual economics are sensational. A 90% operating margin last year. Green Bushes made more money than Commonwealth Bank did. Um, last year. This is a phenomenal asset. So they've got 25% stake in that. They've got, a, they, they've got a, a mine called Nova, which I would rank as the top two or three local discoveries in, in 10 or 15 years in Australia. It's a sensational mine. but It's getting a bit old now, but it's, it still generates very strong economics. And they've bought a nickel mine called Cosmos, which mm -hmm. um, for, for old resources hands is also a famous mine. I used to be owned by Jupiter Mining. It's a, it's a nickel um, deposit, but they have very specific aspirations for nickel. IGO seem to be under the delusion that people will pay more for nickel because it is lower energy intensity or because it's, it, it's greener or because it, of the geology of the nickel itself. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid no one gives a crap about the providence of nickel. This is not wine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no one cares where nickel comes from. People just want the metal. That's why it's a commodity. And I think there's a lot of companies now who are pu pushing this idea that buyers of a commodity should pay premiums for the low carbon intensity or for the higher grades or for the uh, lower embedded energy mm -hmm. um, of that of that metal. And I think that's delusional, complete waste of corporate time. It's never going to happen. And um, I see a lot of energy and time being put into this pursuit from IGO really turns me off the stock. I would value this purely on the basis of its green bush, green bushes um, operation and add a little bit for um, a little bit for Nova, which is in decline. Um, I'm a little bit concerned about capital allocation in this business. They're generating a lot of, of free cash flow, and I'm worried about where that's going because they're pouring a lot into into nickel. Mm -hmm. um, nickel has been permanently disrupted, in my view, yeah. by um, processing technologies um, that are now able to extract nickel from laterite ores. Um, rather than rely on sulfide ores. Uh, uh, just, just read into that that okay. nickel is a lot easier to extract um, than it was 10 years ago. Okay. And that is a permanent change. It's not going to alter. And I think, I think I'm a bit concerned about capital allocation. I'm going to go void with, with um, IGO. It's wow. a, wonderful, uh, a wonderful collection of names, a wonderful mine in green bushes. 
not that happy with um, with with where they're going with nickel. And I and I just if if you wanted to get exposure to green bushes, you can just buy buy Pilbara, which is a fantastic deposit, or uh, Minres, which is just as large as Pilbara is at um, at a cheaper price. So I'm going to go avoid. I don't see the case here. Okay. Minrez is our bonus buy then coming from Gaurav today. Yep. Daniel, um, interesting point raised by Gaurav there. Um, you can pick any of his points if you want to go off it. But when you are assessing these mining stocks, do you also give some sort of weighting to their view when it comes to ESG and environmental degradation? I had a good conversation with a viewer the other day about this, that we don't talk about it enough when we're assessing the, um, you know, the viability and the attractiveness of companies overall. Uh, look, I don't think you can uh, at this point in time until there's either a, um, you know, a dislocation in the pricing for these metals, which, as Gaurav has pointed out, is not the case, or B, until there's a more kind of consistent framework for the pricing of emissions or the pricing of carbon, um, then you then you really can't put a value on that at all. And, and Gaurav's hit the nail on the head. That has been a dominant marketing theme um, for, for IGO, kind of the diversified battery metals provider, you know, highest ESG premium battles battery provider. The only thing I'd add on to, to Gaurav's argument, and, and, you know, it's a pretty significant case for the valuation of the companies, they do have a, a 50% interest in a downstream um, processing facility in Quinana um, as part of the, the joint venture they bought into. Now, from, you know, the, the recent history of that processing facility, you know, the, the good thing is they've been able to actually um, produce a battery grade hydroxide. But the bad thing is that they've never really had any success in the kind of operational consistency with train one. Now, the feedback um, which the company is putting out is that it's probably under engineered. So, you know, the, the, the plant just wasn't probably built um, in a sufficient enough way. Uh, now, if they can sort that out and they can finish finish off the construction there just for train one, um, that, that will add considerable amount of earnings to the company through through the processing through the processing of hydroxide. So I think that could be the reason why it does trade on a bit of a premium. As Gore I've mentioned, you know, the, the Greenbush's mine, it's it's the number one lithium asset and you know it's going to grow by another 33% in volume from around one and a half million tonnes to two million tonnes in spodumene. So I'm, I'm probably a bit more positive on the company for those reasons. You know, I actually think it's close to a buy territory here probably still happy to hold it but you know arguably is getting towards that buy territory for me oh, okay so hold for now but very much a watch list for a potential buy on news company news flow all right so we'll keep our eye out for that catalyst uh, thanks for that daniel let's get to the next company on the list and that is latin resources so again in the lithium space but opposite end of the spectrum and this one's been picked by jarek i might start with you on this one daniel what do you think of latin resources yeah so you know one thing that we've pointed out and and gaurav certainly been a messenger for this as well is that the development of lithium projects you know it, they have been difficult across the board um the main reason for that is you know that it's really got to do with the geology and and the structuring of of the rock formation so when you have more of a more of a thick more of a dense um, or body, then, you know, it's amenable to that DMS processing, which, you know, if you look at Latin and if you look at Sigma, the project they're building um, just to the north of them, it does appear to be, um, you know, suitable for that type of water body, which is a huge plus um, for these types of these types of development projects. You know, I, I haven't looked too deeply into the economic study they released, but, you know, it was just a little bit confusing kind of the staged 
construction um, phase that they've proposed, the, how it impacts the MPV, it's actually pretty material, especially the, the IRI as well. So I think there's a few ways that they've structured that study, which arguably kind of overstates or over, overestimates some of the, the financial metrics. So look, it's probably one of the more interesting development uh, opportunities in the lithium space. There's not many at all listed on the ASX with an actual kind of jaw compliant mineral resource. So it's probably one for the watch list, but um, you know we wouldn't be electing to to buy into a developer at this point in the cycle. I think there's too much too much risk, too much technical risk uh, and development risk as well. We're much happier to go into the producers. I think the valuations are a lot more appealing. Favorite producer, please, just quickly. Uh, for that pure play exposure, it has to be Pilbara okay. for me. Got it. Thank you. Let's get to Latin resources from you, Gaurav. So just too soon, you know, too risky. You, you want to be in with the producers. Do you mind missing that upside? Look, there's a case for, for accessing developers. There's, there's a case, but you need to be a particular kind of investor. This is $700 million business. At first blush, you might think that looks ridiculous for the stage. These, are, these guys are still in exploration, really. I mean, the exploration program that, that um, Latin is running is absolutely enormous. They have 10 diamond drill rigs, 65,000 uh, $65, meters they're drilling. Now, um, I did some rough math on this, um, and to me, that looks like a $200 million drilling program. It's a $700 million business spending about $200 million on drilling. You better um, find something big. Well, <laughs> I, I, you only do that, and they're using they're using the the fanciest, most expensive drilling tools as well. You only do that um, when you're really confident about what you're drilling. And I must say, from what I've seen so far, this looks like a spectacular deposit. Um, in terms of geology, there is a lot to like here. This looks large, and it helps that yes, um, to the north you've got Sigma, and Sigma has been an international success story that we don't hear about in Australia mm -hmm. very much, but it has been a phenomenal success. And in in some ways, um, Kalina can just just do what Sigma is doing, and, and I think they're doing that. They have released a a study that shows spectacular returns, um, a, a very high MPV, but as um, Daniel points out, they use gravity processing in that in that study, and you need a very specific kind of geology to pull off gravity processing. Um, that's, that's a very simple um, low-tech technique of, of processing your spodumene, um, processing your, your, um, your pegmatite. You don't, need to, you don't need to add all the, um, all the acids, you don't need a flotation circuit. It's a very simple way of going about producing the concentrate. And they are skipping uh, multiple steps in doing that, which means they're skipping multiple costs, which means they're possibly, the MPV might look large if they can't pull off that um, uh, that little trick. So there's a there is some technical risk here. They need to they need to prove that they can um, that they can pull off their technical ambitions, which I don't think the evidence is in yet. So you are taking on a fair bit of risk, but to offset that technical risk, the geology here is really impressive. This is a really good looking deposit. I am going to put on a hold. I don't think it looks um, crazy or expensive. I think it's interesting. If you're there, I would stay there um, because this could get very large. Um, and the, the management looked kind of um, credentials. I think they look know what they're doing as well. Um, I, realized, I saw that they did raise capital today, and, and that would be my only concern, is that they are spending a lot of money on drilling. So in, in some sense, this is a little bit binary because they are going to come back to the market again um, and uh, they better have found something, otherwise yeah. you're going to be diluting shareholders again and again. Right.
All right, so there we go.、Um, that is a little taste of their lithium views, as well as well as those particular companies. Let's get to gold, shall we?、Mm. Look, this is a company that I don't know very much about myself. Not afraid to admit it. It's Red Five, and it's been picked by Sanjeev, who's a regular viewer. Sanjeev, thanks for watching or listening. And don't forget, this is not financial advice. But Red Five, so this is an Aussie, an Aussie gold explorer. It looks like to me. And also a producer because we're in, of course, the quarterly production season. You could call it for a lot of these miners. And I've just noted that we've got Morgan saying that first quarter production was solid. Looks like it will be hitting the top end of its FY24 production guidance. Ordmanet has a buy on the company, saying that the grades will come off the boil in FY24, but should be matched by an improvement in processing rates. Red five, Gorav.、Mm. This is an old stock.、Um, it used to own a mine in the Philippines until they had some political problems. Oh, was this Kingsgate、um, or? No, no. They they owned.、Um, I forget the name、okay. of it now. But they owned a mine in the Philippines, which is just owning a mine in the Philippines is a sentence no Australian <laughs> miner should ever utter. <laughs>、um, it was and it ended in disaster, as it, I think it was always destined to. But one thing they did do, they came back to Australia. They bought a mine in Australia called King of the Hill. King of Hill is, is another kind of famous mine in Australia. It was owned by Sons of Gwalior, thought to be exhausted,、um, but they did some good technical work. They turned what was what used to be a kind of a a narrow, hard, veiny kind of deposit into a large bulk mining operation, and it's turned into a really big mine. This is a, a sort of a four million ounce deposit that they're now mining at at pretty good economics. I mean, the mine is good. What's more attractive though is they've got this enormous. Processing plant、um, built on top of the mine.、So、it, this has got to be—it's it's sort of five or six million ton processing plant. In mining terms, that is one of the biggest plants I have seen. It may be it, probably the top three plants in Australia、um, for gold.、Yeah. It, absolutely enormous, and I think the combination of a big deposit and a big、um, my, uh, processing plant. In an interesting geographic location, it's attracted a lot of corporate interest. So、um, Genesis Minerals has tried to to buy this.、Okay. Silver Lake has、um, jumped on the register and 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 tried to spoil the the takeover. I don't、mm-hmm. think I don't know what their intentions are so far, but there's a lot of strategic value in the combination of a very large low cost mill、mm-hmm. um, and、uh, lots and lots of um, ore, um, reasonable grade ore that you could、um, blend. And、uh, and you, I can see lots of ways to generate more money in a combination than as a standalone.、Okay. So the takeover premium that's built into this probably deserves to be、mm-hmm. there, but I would not buy a business with a takeover premium built into it. I would probably,、um, I go probably sell on this.、Um, to be honest, I, I, this is the economics of these of the mine has is not wonderful.、Um, with most gold miners, they just don't generate a lot of free cash flow. Um, if you must own a gold mine, this is not a terrible one to own. It's it's a good quality resource,、um, but it's there's a little bit of poetry going on here because the business that used to own Sons of Gwalior is now trying to. I mean, Sons of Gwalior got got um, um, ripped apart and the deposits went、mm-hmm. over the place. Now Genesis Minerals is trying to bring it all back together.、Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance that、um, King of the Hill will be back、um, alongside、um, Gwalior and some of the other. 
historic mines, and that's that you don't see that often in in mining, where the assets kind of ripped apart and put yeah. back together. So that, that's kind of fun and interesting, but um, that's the extent of my interest in this stock. Well, my the, the story, the narrative. I'm really is good. loving these names of these um, <laughs> mines and assets. Yeah, uh, yeah. More um, than anything else. So Daniel, over to you. Uh, Red five. Um, Gorav put a sell on it. Perhaps a little bit of you know taking profits have you made so far. What do you think? Yeah, well, I'm happy I'm on the show with Gorav, and the reason why I wanted to do it with him is because he can do so much of the heavy lifting. <laughs> uh, yeah, agreed. So, well, one thing I'll focus on with Red Five, and and all of that is absolutely true. And talking about corporate relationships, obviously that they actually purchased King of the Hill off Saracen, obviously. Fin, uh, Rayleigh Finlay said he's now leading Genesis. So yes, that's like right. Gorev mentioned, that, yeah. so many corporate tie-ins um, and Silver Lake who tried a last minute uh, ditch uh, bid at, at Gualia um, from St. Barbara who, who were unsuccessful have now actually taken an interest in Red 5. So just so many kind of corporate tie-ins. The one thing which um, if you followed kind of the development of the project and, and they're actually quite fortunate with the timing because they built this huge processing plant, you know, just before COVID. Mm. Um, and we're able to build it for, I think, under $300 million yeah. or so. You know, the replacement cost of that now would be probably almost double. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why the market is placing, you know, a, a billion dollar uh, market cap value on this business because of the value of the infrastructure. But the thing is that they, that they just haven't been able to really um, get you know, consecutive quarters of, of strong cash flow or strong production. Uh, and they've actually had to have two or three pretty significantly discounted cap raises along the way. And they're still kind of overburdened with debt. And with mining companies, when, you, when you're taking on so much debt and financing from a bank, typically you have to also engage in, in a pretty poor hedging program as well. So, you know, they're really shooting themselves in the foot as well with that hedging program. Um, you know, the profitability could probably double of, of what it is now if they had exposure to that spot price. So, you know, I'm with Gaurav. I think the valuation is probably too high. So I'd be happy to sell at these prices. It's doubled in recent months yeah. um, from a really low base. But just keep in mind, I, I would be looking at that cash flow water, uh, waterfall bridge very, very closely quarter and quarter. Just understand the movements of debt because I think they have a $100 million bullet payment as well coming up. So, yeah, a lot, a lot of things on the financial account side to, to be wary of here. And if you've done well picking off the bottom, I'd certainly be selling. Interesting. Great. Thanks, guys. Because, yeah, part of investing is knowing when to take profits if you've got them as well. And implied in the sell then is if you don't own it, you don't need to buy it mm. now. All right. Um, it's so interesting to me because we're going to stick with gold for a moment. Mm. It's uh, West Gold Resources, just so you know. He says nobody is talking about gold. Well, <laughs> I think that's a little incorrect now, but dated since we've got the uh, breakout of the tensions in the Middle East. Um, but that's the thing. You guys talked about Red 5, Daniel, without even mentioning uh, the price of gold, where it's likely to head, and the geopolitical risks clearly are rising. Uh, some might say right around the world, particularly in the Middle East. So when you are thinking about these gold companies such as West Gold Resources, how much is the price and where the price is likely to head, you know, top of mind when we're thinking about costs and when we're thinking about, you know, all in sustaining costs? 
Uh, look, it, it's certainly important, but from my view and the way I guess I digest stocks um, it is more so of a bottom-up view rather than a top-down. So I'd much prefer to focus on you know the assets that the companies hold, what's going on in the financial accounts. I'm more from the accounting side by background. So specifically with mining companies, there is a lot of information you can digest in those reports, um, which, will, which will lead you into a good way. And then I would say the top-down view, the commodity pricing view, is probably more of a timing factor. Um, a company like West Gold, it, it's had multiple things go its way. So it's had a bit of a turnaround operations, new board, new management, new strategy, plus, um, you know, a positive commodity price trajectory. So when you get all these things in unison, you can see it, it creates, you know, really strong opportunities for investors who are happy to do the homework. West Gold um, is actually a company I, I quite like. And I, I think since they had the new, um, the, you know, the new board turnover and the new MD step in, uh, they've actually led, you know, a pretty significant cultural turnaround. I think West Gold historically, and and probably Gaurav would know a bit more than me, it's probably been ran a bit more of one of these companies, which, you know, I'd say not necessarily empire building, but really focusing on growing production, growing ounces. Now it's probably a bit more of a focus on growing margin or growing profitable ounces. Um, you know, that they, they made a bit of a lob for Musgrave, which had a really high grade kind of shallow surface um, deposit as well near their near their mills. Um, unfortunately, they weren't able to, to to get that, but that shows the thinking of management. It's more about chasing margin rather than purely chasing ounces. Now, um, they've actually you know shut down a few of their mines recently and and focused on developing um, some of their some of their larger uh, some of their larger projects. So, you know, I think this year, you know, they're probably going to do you know significant amount of free cash flow. Um, the thing is, they are reinvesting pretty heavily over the next few years for growth. So it probably won't be a, a really strong period of financial returns. But if the gold prices stay anywhere near where they are now, and West Gold is another one which recently kind of closed out their hedge book, you know, they can be seriously profitable. So I think the re-rate in the share price is very, very fair. Um, and I actually think this is probably one of the more attractive um, kind of intermediate producers out there. And I think that's where the value is at the moment. The the large cap space, unfortunately, there's there's been a few acquisitions amongst those larger companies, which really hasn't gone their way. And they're all spending an absolute bomb at the moment. So I think the mid-tiers is a really good way to play the gold space. And um, I think West Gold is actually a, an attractive way to do it. Okay, that's a buy. That's our first buy of the program. Do you agree? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm surprised it's the first buy. First buy. But uh, yeah, um, I'm not a big fan of gold miners generally. Yeah, um, I, I didn't I think, know that. Uh, it, there is a case for, for buying gold. I view gold as a currency. And if you wish to hold gold in your portfolio, I think that's a perfectly sensible aspiration. And there are lots of sensible ways to do that. I wouldn't buy a gold miner to get exposure to the gold price. Like Daniel, I, would, I have bought gold miners in the past. And I bought them because of... Uh, a specific insight I had about the the business, or something was happening in the mm -hmm. business, or or because of the price, and that's the way I, I would treat them. There's no magic here in gold miners. In fact, their numbers are often some of the worst of all mining companies, and their prices are often some of the highest. So, is now the time to hold half a miner I, in your portfolio? I don't think it is. Look, I, I agree with the comments. West Gold is a textbook example of how to turn a crappy miner into a good miner. Um, if one wants to learn about uh, mining turnarounds, you can go through and look at the last few years of Westgold, um, because Daniel's absolutely correct. The, this used to be a lousy business, chasing volume for the sake of volume, poorly managed, poorly financed, very high cost. 
and is now under new board, new management. Um, I think the asset base has changed a bit, especially the shedding of unprofitable ounces has been an important part of the story here, but it is now a decent business and um, the balance sheet's been repaired. Um, yeah, if you must have a gold miner, I would agree. This is actually one of the top few uh, miners on the market in my view, um, but I, I still don't think it's, when you weigh this up against other cash generating miners or even cash generating businesses, you know, again, there's no magic in mining. There's no reason you must own a miner above a Lavisa, for example. Um, but um, I would much rather own different businesses than own West Gold. I'll keep a hold on this because it is, um, the turnaround is impressive. Mm-hmm. It's not crazily priced, but um, I, I don't think there's obvious value here. But it is a it is a much better business than it was. Kudos to management. And um, I can see a case for, for mm-hmm. buying this, but I just don't have one at the moment. Okay. Hold. All right. Mm. Um, now we get to South 32. Mm. So this is a nice way to end this first half, I think, because there's there's many sort of minerals and and uh, you know that we can mm. talk about in relation to South 32. It's also out with a production update today. Mm. Um, we don't have to go very deep into that, but um, you know, does South 32 offer diversification? Is it the right diversification? It's had very strong management in Graham Kerr for a very long time. Yeah. Um, you know, I know that management is so important to you, Gaurav, when mm. it comes to any business, mm. perhaps particularly miners. Does South 32 hit the mark? Now, twice now, I think twice, maybe in three times, twice now, at least twice now, we have bought, multi-bagged and sold South 32. Okay. It's a business um, I think um, II knows very well. We were in there in the IPO. We watched it halve. We added more. We looked like idiots <laughs> until we didn't. And um, it's, it's a classic case of how big mining companies um, can be, you know, you've got all these analysts, everyone's looking at this. This is a $15 billion miner. But often you'll get wild swings in um, behavior or in valuations and in prices. And that's because um, miners, like any companies, maybe more than most companies, just have so much irrationality built in the prices at times. I'm not sure we are at a point of irrationality with South 32. It is cheap. It's not expensive at all. But um, although I do like management, um, and I think they have better than average assets, there are just a few areas of concern for me about South 32 of late. Um, the first really is, um, is what's gone on with a, a, a purchase that they made in, in America called Homosa. Um, I was quite excited about this because this is the same style of mineralization as, as that, they've, that the South 32 has operated um, with um, with Cannington, a very successful mm-hmm. mine in Queensland, for, for many, many years. So they should know this kind of deposit really well. But they had to take a $1.3 billion write-off on the yeah. asset, huge write-off. And the original investment case that they made for buying the asset and the development of the asset has now completely changed. Instead of mining this as a replacement for Cannington with very similar geological and processing techniques, they are now splitting the asset really into two kind of um, two kind of paths. One will be a conventional, much, much smaller multi-metal mine. And the other, they're trying to build a, a high-grade manganese battery plant. You know, this is the first time I've heard of this. When they went in and bought Hermosa, none of this was on the cards. I think this might be a, a case of having sunk almost $2 billion into an asset. They're now coming up with a thesis for trying to make mining of the asset work when I suspect this is probably an error. And it's okay, you're allowed to have errors. Um, This is a rare error from South 32 management, but I prefer them to draw a line under it, call it an error, and just park the asset and not allocate more capital to it. It looks like they're searching for a reason to get this thing into production. Uh, The other thing I'm worried about is um, 
they, they bought a giant copper mine, a, a stake, 45% stake in a giant copper mine with, it, it is a difficult asset. Um, I mean, they use, um, the, the asset's been, the, the copper mine's been, has all sorts of processing issues. They're using seawater to try and, and process this, mm-hmm. this, uh, this, the copper concentrate, and it's just, it hasn't really worked. They need to turn this thing around. It's a very big risk to take for a business like South32, which is generally quite risk averse. I'm surprised by the scale of the acquisition and um, why they bought into a technically difficult um, asset. So those two things have just got me thinking about, um, it's, it's the reason I'm, we're not in the stock right now. Okay. We're on the sidelines. I would say hold with this one. A, 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 some really good stuff going on. 50% of the, the company is really in aluminium and alumina. And I think yeah. value has been destroyed in that part. And um, and I think you want to be you want to be there for okay. that. Okay, aluminium, alumina. Someone, alumina. someone should ask about alumina next time because we could spend a show on that on that fiasco. That's been. <laughs> well, maybe I'll get you in to just have a one on one about alumina. How yeah, about okay, that? okay. Okay, let's get to Daniel's view. It's Hermosa. I mean, if it's a mistake, it's a two billion dollar mistake. Do you feel the same as Gaurav? Yeah, in, in regards to that asset acquisition, I, I I do feel the same, and there's a reason why. I think I think this might have been one of the largest periods for write downs in the industry a, across the board, and it's you know due to one, it's due to inflation, it's due to potentially um, lower commodity price forecasts in the, in the way they kind of account for these things, but it's also due to the fact that you know uh, there's probably like I've said a, a lot of changing kind of business conditions that that companies are looking to do. Um, for example, Rio having to implement kind of the 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 investments in um, in solar panels and things of the like uh, that the government's forcing them to do cause a write down in their assets. So it's it's just it's just very difficult to follow these situations. You know, another thing that South Thirty Two did is that they bought that Eagles Down um, Met Coal Development Project, which they shelved after the Queensland changed their royalty structure. So you know, I guess they have a, a bit of precedence in the past of potentially just shelving. These types of deals, when perhaps things don't go their way, that that could be, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a, a logic driver for management. But, um, you know, what we're focusing on, and, and we're not in the stock at the moment. We we sold out. Uh, I think at the end of FY22. Um, what we're focusing on very much, like Gaurav said, is is the aluminium asset. So, um, you know, Gaurav could could explain it a lot better than I could, but it's, you know, it's got to do with the, the three different um, progresses of um, aluminium bauxite, alumina, then, then aluminium um, smelting. And, you know, they have really good assets as well. Um, south of the hemisphere, hence South 32, the name. And this is probably the company I'd be playing uh, for that for that exposure. I, I think um, Alumina's probably got significant troubles with their WA permitting issues. So I'd probably steer clear of them. They, they look extremely cheap. Uh, but I think if I'm playing it in any company, it would be South 32. So, you know, I'd be a hold on valuation grounds as well. But if I was looking to for the right time to buy into that commodity, that story, it would be South 32. Okay, got it. Thank you, guys. Look, I'm just, and just a reminder, that one was for Zane. So Zane, that one was for you. I hope you enjoy the commentary. I'm going to be very quick here and just run you through what we've learned so far. I'll find my notes. Uh, the stocks of the day, Soraya and uh, TLG, Talga, and that's an avoid for both of my guests. I don't love the graphite story, simply put. IGO, it's a hold for Daniel. It's an avoid for Gorav. He would be buying Minrez in the space, but uh, Daniel would be buying Pilbara. He just thinks Latin resources is too soon. Uh, management key for Gorav. 
Um, but look, it's a hold at best for him. Red five, it's a sell for both of my guests. If you made some money, now is probably the time to get out um, because uh, you know things are tough when it comes to gold in general, but not for all of them. Daniel likes West Cold Resources. It's a buy for him. He's a bottom up stock picker. He's not paying attention to the price of gold in relation to geopolitics. He's looking at the company fundamentals. So is Gorav and he's a hold for West Gold. Textbook case of a turnaround, but he is just not a big fan of gold miners. He doesn't think you need to own one right now, contrary to uh, what a lot of others out there think as well. Number five, South 32. Gorov has nothing against the company he's been in. He's been out of the stock, but he says right now it's a hold. He's questioning some of the management decisions right now, and it's a hold on valuation grounds for Daniel. But both my guests, well, it sounds like we need to get them back to talk about aluminium potentially. Okay, let's uh, find out what is happening with our portfolio. So here we go. We put out, sorry, we took out Avita Medical. I think we've gone through this a lot of the time. Um, you know, we took out Karun. Promaticus Paladin and another 1% of cash was spent to add to Amplify. So we didn't take out those companies. We just distributed the weighting from Avita Medical. So there are the returns thus far. Keep sending in your requests. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Here and now, though, Champion Iron, New Hope Coal, Whitehaven Coal, Boss Energy had to get a uranium stock in there, mm. and Sandfire Resources. So let's get going, shall we? Champion Iron, this one has been picked by Mitch. Daniel, I'm going to start with you in terms of iron ore. I mean, prices came under pressure last week, but we saw data from China, you know, potentially showing a pickup in the economy there, and also still, you know, hanging out for hopes of more stimulus. What's your view on iron ore? Yeah, I guess view on iron ore, I guess more broadly, uh, not focusing on champion, is that, um, you know, it, it's been a magnificent period for about five years for anyone involved in, in the mining of iron ore. Obviously, the the difficult thing to understand for, for most people is, you know, if China's property sector, which is traditionally about 33% of steel consumption, if it's struggling so badly, why are iron ore prices at at you know not not all time highs but have been at all time highs and you know it's it's the fact that china and clearly their economy is is driven by more things purely than just an economic return being generated but you know there's really been no slowdown at all in at the steel mill so in fact most people are actually thinking steel um, was going to be down year on year in terms of production. It's actually up low single digits. Um, and therefore, you know, the steel is being found to be used in other areas where it's the Belts and Sands Initiative or it's infrastructure or it's manufacturing. But my question is how long can that last if the property sector continues to struggle, um, you know, that then there surely will be some time where there will be a period of steel output weakness. And then you're matching that into a period of, you know, most likely higher iron ore supply. We've seen a few big projects come online. Obviously, the, the Fortescue Iron Bridge is probably the largest one. Minres, as Gaurav would know, would have a really large, um, or I guess in the context of the market, probably not really large, but a significant project coming online as well. So there is supply coming back to the market. And in my view, a couple of questions on demand. So I'm probably not that positive on iron ore as a whole. However, Champion, that they really have an interesting story. And I guess we're talking about interesting corporate tie-ups before. I mean, if you look at the history of Bloom Lake, there'd been billions of dollars sunk into it. Uh, and uh, Michael O'Keefe acquired it for about $10 million and he's uh, managed to, to grow that into a multi-billion dollar business. So it's another really interesting kind of historical uh, um, uh, journey for this company. The fact is that they produce, you know, a higher 
um, grade high actual concentrate of iron ore. They've kind of gone through a, a development from around a 7 million tonne per annum operation. They've doubled that to about 15. They're looking to double that again almost virtually to about 25. So it's one of the few iron ore companies on the market with actual growth in production. Um, however, it is a higher grade uh, premium product achieves a premium price to benchmark, but the cost to produce is significantly higher, and especially shipping costs, obviously, um, going to, to China from Canada is a longer distance in Australia. So there are a few things that are really interesting in this mm-hmm. company, but once again, it comes back to that, if you believe in the premium um, pricing for, for, I guess, green steel would be the the quote here, then you'd, you'd probably be buying this company. But for our money, I think, you know, we're, we're probably not really interested at, at the current valuation. Potentially um, wait and see how things play out. You know, there's currently fires going on okay. in okay. Quebec. So there's things to wait and see and play out, but we'd be on the sidelines. Got it. Sidelines on this one for Daniel. You, Gora? I wouldn't add too much. I, I agree with with what Daniel was saying. Um, the only thing I would say, I view this as a very high cost leverage play on the iron ore price. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking about costs here of sort of over $100 Aussie per tonne of, of production when someone like BHP would do it at less than 20 bucks a tonne. So the leverage you get on the iron ore price is enormous. So if, you're, if you think that iron ore prices are going to stick around at 120 or potentially go higher, this is the vehicle for you. Do you? Uh, I do not. Okay, so there you go. <laughs> I, so I this would, is an avoid. I'd be a, a selling this, but nothing. It's a it's a it's a Sell nice it. little operation. Um, high insider ownership, lots of good stuff. Just a high cost operation that I'm not really interested in. Okay, and then we get to coal. We get to the coal miners. Yeah. So I'm going to start with you. Uh, New Hope has been picked by Peter, and he's and this is this is sort of guys. Let's just approach this as two in one. Yeah. Because Peter's saying compare Whitehaven to New Hope as an investment option in coal. Mm. Also in you know, in like the activity that we've seen in Whitehaven Coal in terms of taking on BHP's mm. coal assets or some of them. So New Hope, Whitehaven, Coal, mm. what do you think, Gaurav? <laughs> uh, so we still own coal. I, okay. I've been saying that um, the um, historic mispricing of coal is now over. Okay. When we first bought Whitehaven at a dollar, buying New Hope at sort of a dollar something as well. And at that point, I think the market was just completely asleep these assets were the most mispriced assets I've seen in my career and it was a once in a, a century kind of opportunity to make money on, uh, on, on a market hallucination about coal. Um, I think that opportunity has now gone and what we're left now is with a conventionally underpriced business which means your, the amount of money you allocate to the opportunity should be far, far lower. At one stage I had 40% of my own wealth inside. Um, these two coal miners, and, and I've drastically, I've got less than 10% now. Okay. I think that's the way you should approach it. These are still cheap. I still think there's a case for owning them, and you're going to get your money through dividends, not through capital growth. Um, but I, I don't think the, the, the great opportunity is gone. I wouldn't be significantly overweight. Um, but it is still, I, I put a hold on, on both stocks um, because you do want to be exposed to them. Um, no obvious buying opportunity. I think somebody asked what's the difference between the two, and, and yeah. the, um, I'm sure Daniel will cover this as well, but the, the purchase of, um, of Whitehaven now introduces a genuine difference between New Hope uh, and Whitehaven. I'm sorry, the purchase of BHP's yeah, coal yeah. assets. Um, they've just bought a whole bunch of metallurgical coal assets, which is the, the, the steel you make, um, the, the, the coal you, you use to make steel. Um, and in the, uh, you know, according to the ESG mafia, um, that's somehow um, a, a much better use of coal. That, that's allowed and thermal coal is not allowed. Um, so they, they tend to trade at higher multiples and you can get bank finance, you can get insurance. Um, so Whitehaven is now a, a, sort of a multi-product, um, multi-mine mm-hmm. 
um, business, whereas New Hope is very much a high quality thermal. They have two projects um, and uh, that's all they do. I would also say that capital allocation in New Hope is flawless. I, I, it's, it's one of our biggest holdings okay. still. Um, whereas Whitehaven, operationally, they have a lot of question marks. Capital allocation, I would also say um, less than ideal historically, but not too bad recently. I would say hold for both. Quite different businesses. So would you have a preference though? New Hope, New Hope. New Hope for yeah, me. Yeah, got it. If that's one you own, yeah, then yeah. that's your preference. I, I think Whitehaven is cheaper. There's, there's nothing wrong with earning it. But, but as I said, your returns are going to come from dividends. You really need to be in a business where you're confident the cash flow from these dwindling mines. And make no mistake, uh, thermal coal is being disrupted. There is no case here. No one thinks that, that thermal coal volumes are going to grow. That, yeah. the, 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 no, that's all correct. I think what we're arguing about here is the pace of the change. Right. And I think in 20 years, there'll still be a place for coal. And our job, our, the task here is really to milk these mines for cash flow. So we need these dividends back to get our returns. Mm -hmm. And that's why I back New Hope. So buying miners for dividends, that's an interesting one, Daniel. Dangerous words, Nadine. Those words are dangerous words. <laughs> uttered here, written them down, put the date beside it. So Whitehaven versus New Hope, do you prefer one of the, or over the other? Do you stay out of coal altogether? What's your take? Yeah, I think no. Gaurav has really nailed it, and I guess you can't really go against Gaurav when you when you're talking about coal, <laughs> uh, given the track record. But what I will add um, is that the thing I, I would be a little bit disillusioned with if I was a Whitehaven shareholder. I mean, just the the actions of the CEO, I guess, and the broader management team. They have a history of as soon as their kind of options vest, you know, they're just sellers straight away. Um, notably, he sold vast majority of his stock last year when when the stocks was was around ten dollars and they were buying back aggressively um, there could be an, an argument of of a conflict of interest there and if you look at kind of the incentives that they're tied to it's not total shareholder return relative to a peer group which is probably the leading kind of incentive driver uh, in terms of kind of governments and doing the right things. It's flat EBITDA, flat production. So obviously that incentivizes them to, to do the deal and purchase it um, to, to, to help meet those targets in an immediate view. So that's why I think you've had activism in that company uh, with some of the London-based shareholders. So yeah, like Gaurav, I'd prefer New Hope. Um, and the good thing about New Hope is that it's a volume growth story too, yep. with New Auckland coming online as well. So even if you get a bit of price reduction, um, you can still get growth in, in cash flows due to that uh, that, that increase in, in production, which is a positive. Well, guys, looks like you're on the same page for these ones. Nice to see. Nice to see you guys endorsing each other's views as well. I think that might inspire a little bit of confidence uh, when it comes to some of our viewers or listeners. Again, don't forget, you need to take your own circumstances into consideration. Um, so look, uh, I just thought we could not do this program unless we talk about uranium. We know that Boss Energy is in the investment committee. It's in the Ausbiz portfolio. But I would really like to know from these guests whether they are you know, willing to dip a toe into the uranium water when, you know, there are still a lot of unknowns when it comes to ultimately use and demand. So for Gemma, Boss Energy, start with you, Daniel. Oh, so I was hoping Gaurav would go first here. But <laughs> hey, yeah. No, I'll no, take, we take can do it. Back. If you really want. We no, can go, go on, Daniel. No, no, Let, let's Daniel. put Daniel on. We want to hear what you yeah. have to say. Yeah, go on. <laughs> uh, look, uh, the story is very interesting. Um, it's all about, once again, the market dynamics. The majority of uranium is produced in, in Kazakhstan. I think um, the majority of kind of the export there actually goes through Russian ports. So there's kind of questions of the, of supply um, in that in that region. But 
if we look at how these businesses are being valued, you know, on on the ASX, uh, I just struggle to to justify the valuations. Like Boss's, I think a one and a half billion dollar market cap. The NPV of the project at a spot price, which is higher than it is today, is I think seven hundred million. So I'm not sure what the market's implying. Is it implying significantly higher prices? Is is it implying much longer uh, mine lives. I mean, I'm just not sure. Um, and the final thing is that, and I'm sure Gaurav can, can touch on this a bit further, but you know, the, the supply of uranium, I think, can actually grow quite quickly. Um, we have one of the biggest uranium kind of producing mines in Australia, Olympic Dam, which produces around 3,400 um, 3, tonnes of it. And whilst they're not going to you know, increase that in, in the near term, but expanding Olympic Dam is, is a part of BHP's strategy. So that will grow pretty significantly over time as well. That's just from Australia. So I, I'm not too sure about this argument between demand and supply. Perhaps I need to look into it a bit more. But from the valuations of the stock point views alone, I'd probably call this one a sell. Okay, there you go. So Boss Energy, there's a lot of hope uh, when it comes to nuclear energy as we transition away from coal. Mm. Um, but the reality is a lot of these listed Aussie companies, you know, are just still waiting to bring back yeah. to life, you know, uh, some of these assets or to bring them into production. So Boss Energy, uh, when you see the enthusiasm around mm. the space, are you tempted? Not at all. I'm very concerned. Um, this reminds me of, of lithium last year, cobalt, graphite, rare earths, p- pick your poison. Every, every year, there's a new delusion in mining. Um, the delusion this year is that is that uranium ought to be uranium miners specifically ought to be worth what they are now. And I just think uh, I think that as I said, I, I, I can't see I can't make the case for it. Um, Paladin, if you go back and look at what Paladin was earning um, in 20, 2007 and the early 2000s when it was producing. It was not a prof- very profitable mine. It was a mine plagued with difficulties, um, and um, it was terribly run as well. But um, but I'm not that optimistic about about Paladin, which is the everyone's go-to boss. I think he's a better operation. They do um, rather than sort of digging up and, and mine conventionally. They do what's known as a heap leach. And um, and Daniel, I, I know what you're saying about the um, uh, the MPV and the the. And the valuation it, it makes no sense. But with these heap leak projects, you don't drill out the entire resource base, and so the NPV in heap leach projects is generally quite mo- modest and understated. And you can really um, you, you, most heap leach projects should trade at a multiple of, of their NPVs, and I think that's that's probably appropriate. But I still think I, I agree with the conclusion. Boss is too expensive. Um, it's too hot. Everyone's in there, um, and they're in there for for narrative reasons that, that say uranium prices are going to go up and and maybe they will. But I, I just think that's a variable outcome. That's not a certainty. And then the stock is treating the outcome as a certainty. Yeah. So this is an easy sell for me. And um, if you know, I'd get it out of the portfolio as fast as I could as well. Um, the other point to note, and, and Daniel has sort of noted this as well, is that is that you've got a whole bunch of mines all over the world just sitting on proven um, sort of tested and ready to go uranium resources. All they're waiting for is that spot price to hit a critical point. And once that critical point is reached, I think it's very quick and very easy to switch on a whole bunch of production. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, at a, at very, and, and then you're going to see a, I wouldn't call it a flood, but you're going to see a, there's no shortage of, of um, permitted, of, of, um, of funded mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and tested uh, uranium mines just waiting for the right price to come on. And the big gorilla, there are two big gorillas really in this industry. One is Kazakhstan, which 
Um, it, by the way, it uses a lot of heap leach technology and can, can very easily um, increase production. And the other is uh, Olympic Dam. 25% of, 25 of the world's uranium reserves are inside that, that, pro, that ore body in South Australia. It is a giant. And any shift in the uranium price shifts, shifts the incentive mm. price for um, BHP to develop those resources. I, I'm not all that optimistic about uranium. And even if you were optimistic, there are no good miners. In, on the ASX to play this. Okay. Um, I, I don't see any decent, I haven't seen a single decent miner worth capital, so I'd avoid. Well, I think that's pretty clear for all of you out there, <laughs> including you, Gemma, coming from Gorav. Um, you know, one of the things Nathan has drilled into me over the years is never, you know, never get into a stock in a downgrade cycle. And the other one that just keeps getting, you know, hammered home is, is narratives and how careful you need to be around these mm. narratives that take hold every once in a while, as we know. Stories. In yeah. market stories. Okay. Mm. I'm agnostic. I'm just here to get the information, <laughs> which is what I'm going to do with the next company on the mm. list. I'm doing this on behalf of Lachlan Sandfire Resources. Couldn't do a program grow up without copper. Yeah, yeah, I've got to have copper in there, I suppose. And uh, I mean, I said this at the top, but uh, I think people's view on copper is absolutely crazy. Um, but why? It's used, it's used in industrial applications. It's used in the electrification of the economy. Like, I'm just yeah. playing devil's advocate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and supply down while demand is up. Yeah. Well, um, supply is not down. Um, supply continues to rise of copper. There's no, I don't know where this I've narrative seen of, charts. I've seen charts. I've seen charts. Projected uh, supply. Oh, projected. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Projected supplies okay. are supposed to dwindle. Right. But <laughs> projected supplies are always supposed to But if to only dwindle. we're here, Daniel, we can really have an argument <laughs> yeah. going anyway. Yeah, the <laughs> actual supply. So last year, there was more copper produced. The year before, I think, was the, was the single largest um, new copper uh, year uh, for like a decade or something. There's, there's, there's lots of copper projects coming up. The other thing that happens is you go through any supply, any any um, presentation deck for any miner, because everyone's projecting a copper deficit, every company in the world is spending all their exploration and development um, resources specifically on copper. I mean, this is kind of, uh, you know, if you, if you forecast a problem or, or a deficit in mining and everyone rushes, rushes to spend yeah, spends okay. capital to solve that problem, that problem there's is going to no get solved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's exactly what we're seeing with copper. There's just um, there's a lot of capital being allocated into the sector. And, um, you know, I have no doubt that copper demand is going to rise. But, um, you know, I, I think supply is going to have no issue catching up. There is, um, you know, there's and, and bulls will always say, well, grades are declining. Um, yes, they are. But but uh, the technology is improving as well. Okay, um, yeah. You know, grades have been declining at um, Escondida for 20 years, and for 20 years people have been apocalyptic about that project. And for 20 years, Escondida just keeps spewing out more copper than the year, year before. So I've, I've no doubt that um, that there's plenty of copper to go around. The task is really, is Sandfire any yeah. good? I would, I would just put a pin on that trying to predict the copper price because mm -hmm. no one gets it right. Um, and, and Sandfire is interesting. I mean, um, they discovered, I said at the top of the show that Nova was one of the best um, metal discoveries I've seen in about a decade. De Grusa, which is yeah. what, um, what Sandfire discovered, is probably the other one. It's just an astonishing find, a, a, a demanding, technically difficult complex um, in terms of geology to find. And, and technically demanding um, ore body to develop. And these guys did it, and they did it successfully um, and very, very profitably. It's there to be commended. This is an astonishing business. Unfortunately, De Grusa has now completely exhausted and they bought these two other mines. I think they've paid too much for them. Um, I think in the haste to fill the earnings gap that was coming from a, from a, um, a depleted De Grusa deposit, 
they have jumped on and bought um, two uh, mines that uh, for way too much money. Yeah. Matza is, is, is another kind of famous mine in Spain on a very famous geological formation, three underground mines connected all together um, with a centralized processing facility. This is this is kind of dreamland. This mm-hmm. is what every kind of miner kind of wants. And there are, it's a, the style of deposit is similar um, to what Sandfire is, it should be um, uh, comfortable with. So look, I, I think it's a good, good piece of good assets here at the wrong price. And the balance sheet is a disaster. They have far too much debt. They are not generating the cash flow they need to fund these two new mines. This is a hard sell for me. I, I'm, I actually think there's going to be more cap raises coming. Okay. Well, now, will this be the company that ends the bromance between these two? <laughs> Very short thought on copper. Uh, what do you need in your portfolio and whether Samphire is the one, if, if that's the case? Yeah, quick thought on copper is that if you actually look at recent um, kind of recent updates in terms of supply and demand, it's actually in a short term surplus. I don't think anyone's actually mentioned that, but uh, the market is in a surplus. So, uh, you know, if you were to ask any of the any of the kind of the the investors or the um, the speculators out there, I don't think anyone would have pointed that out. So, no, I mean, just look at me, right? I got that one wrong. So, my tail's between my legs. Continue on, Daniel. Not not too bullish on copper, um, just because, like I've said, it's just the prices that the equities are trading at are a little bit ridiculous. And outside of Sandfire, if you go further down the market cap scale, like you look at a company like Aries, you know, that, that's probably biting on time until until it's... You They're know, going down, Daniel. To- Aries is gone. 29 Metals is gone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean... The, the only argument I could see is that potentially with the rising costs and um, some of the mines that have been in operation for a long time, you could argue that, you know, the, the marginal cost has gone up significantly. So you would see higher prices. You know, that would benefit, again, the larger players with lower cost, maybe a BHP. Um, but, you know, in terms of a company like Sandfire, the, the one thing I always point out, uh, which no one speaks about, which Gaurav has spoken about, is the balance sheet. I mean, US 450 mil net debt, plus they're still investing um, in, in their growth project. So that's probably going to balloon out further. Uh, and it's at a time where you've had the byproduct mm-hmm. prices of lead and zinc go down pretty significantly. And that's a huge driver in, in some of the cost savings for a mine like Matza. So yeah, I'm, I'm not too positive on this. I think it's a sell. I think they're probably going to um, keep their hat in the ring for that other African mine, which is located near their, mm. near their current um, development project. And they'll probably use that as an excuse to, to raise extra capital to clear up the balance sheet there. So perhaps after you see that go through, if it does go through, it could be a better opportunity to look at, but at this point with this balance sheet, uh, I wouldn't be able to, to buy or hold or selling. All right, guys, thank All you. Right. Look, that brings us to the end of the list. I'll just run our viewers through this very, very quickly. Champion Iron, it's an avoid for Daniel. It is a sell for Gorav. Now, New Hope versus Whitehaven Coal. It's a hold for Gorav, but he does prefer New Hope. He does think that you can be allocated to copper. You're doing it for the dividends. Also, Daniel prefers Northern, uh, sorry, New, New Hope to Whitehaven Coal. All right, Boss Energy, it is a story. It is a sell um, for Gorav. It is a sell as well. For Daniel, he's just struggling to justify the valuations with these uranium stocks and Sandfire resources. Hard sell for Gorav, sell for Daniel Ortiz. So, and we all learned, if you didn't know already, that we've got a short-term supply surplus <laughs> in copper. At the beginning of 2023, sorry, mm. but to your point, Gorav, like mm. every single person I talked to, yes. Was saying buy copper, not you. Yeah. All right. 
when it starts to become barbecue fodder, that's when you exit. That's right? it. Okay, that's it. guys, look, I hope you enjoyed it. Daniel, Daniel mm. Ortiz from The Stock Doctor, we certainly enjoyed having you join us. We'll see you in Sydney soon. And Gora Sodi from The Intelligent Investor, as always, thank you. Thanks, Adit. And cheers to Daniel for putting this together. Yeah, it was yeah, a great yeah. idea. Thanks, this Daniel. This was Daniel's yeah. idea originally. So that was all mining stocks. And if you haven't got enough, on Thursday, we're hosting an event in the evening, actually, this time. It's presented by the team at ACY Securities, a deep dive into mining stock strategy for 2024. So our guests will be looking at the fundamental and technical indicators across a range of commodities, including lithium, gold, iron ore, all of the aforementioned. And you can actually join us here at the Ausbiz studio. So we've got a limited number of spaces for Ausbiz subscribers to attend the event here at Barangaroo. So you've got to be Sydney-based. We're not buying anyone airplane <laughs> tickets, okay? You've got to register at ausbiz.co forward slash intel. That's it for this hour. Stay with us.